Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Friday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I am your host, literally Heather. Y'all, we made it. It's officially Friday. I hope that you all have a tremendous weekend. You relax, eat some good food, spend some quality time with your family. Speaking of family, Palmetto State Armory has a few deals that I feel you should know about. First up is a new product alert with a PSA saver forged 13.7 inch mid-length in 556 with a 13-inch ODG quad rail, JMAC, and B5 SOP mod furniture. It looks bad AF, and it's only $899.99. Next up, some Winchester 5.56 ammo in 55-grain full metal jacket, 150 rounds for $69.99 with an additional 25% off rebate. In stock and available as of recording. But last... Not least, there's a Springfield Armory XDM Elite in 10 millimeter with six magazines included for only $529.99. As always, links to each item is in the show description. Please check them out. Go get yourself something good. It's Friday. <laughs> I saw this story pop up as I was writing my show, and I decided that I had to share it with you guys. Honestly, At some point, one has to realize that the karma knocking on their door is a reflection on how they're living their life. And that person may need to reevaluate things, especially if your name is Gage Grosskreutz. Grosskreutz, I think is how you say his last name. Um, He's changed his name and now goes by Paul Prediger or Prediger. But for listeners who may not know, Gage is the main, is the man, I'm sorry, who pointed a gun at Kyle Rittenhouse during the riots of 2020 in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and had his arm practically blown off in Kyle's move of self-defense. Apparently, Grosskreutz had to change his name secretly so he could protect himself from the far-right people who have been threatening his life. Unrelated to any of that, he was hit by a car in a hit and run on September 2nd in Milwaukee. And I must say, according to the video I watched, it did look pretty brutal. He suffered a lacerated liver and multiple broken bones. The complaint says officers located video showing the crash and the vehicle's license plate. Tuesday, police went to the address listed for that plate near 76th and Townsend Streets, where police said two people came outside. That's when prosecutors say Thomas told police he was the driver, saying he was sorry. Court documents say Thomas also admitted to knowing that he didn't have a valid driver's license. He is facing two felony charges, hit and run, causing great bodily harm, and knowingly operating a motor vehicle while revoked, causing great bodily harm to another. 
If convicted on the most serious charge, Thomas could spend up to 15 years in prison. You know, I like I know hit and runs are wrong and should be admonished in total and complete disgust and shame. But at the same time, it could not have happened to a better guy. James O'Keefe is probably so busy right now baking humble pies to serve up to the board of directors who ousted him seven months after O'Keefe announced that he had been ousted from Project Veritas. The company he founded in 2010 has officially imploded. Former Veritas employee and investigative reporter Bobby Haar announced that Project Veritas has suspended all operations effective immediately. The journalists who were left on staff after the August 17th mass firing were terminated on Wednesday. The journalists who had remained were essentially relegated to fundraising as the company was floundering. SOS, Hannah Giles just fired us all. Read a swiftly deleted tweet on August 17th. Giles who became notorious for starring in the Acorn video with founder and former CEO O'Keefe that launched the company, took over for O'Keefe after he was summarily pushed out by the board of directors. She took over as CEO only to destroy the company entirely. Since James quit, the donations dried up. The donations never resumed. The board was desperate to bring Hannah on board because they thought it would be good. But the problem is, she's a charlatan and a fraud. Everything she's ever done has been a failure, and she lied to everyone, claiming she had all these donors she could bring in. In February, O'Keefe stated that he had been suspended from his position as CEO. This came after 16 staffers sent a letter to the Project Veritas Board of Directors accusing O'Keefe of financial misdeeds and employee harassment. James has become a power-drunk tyrant, and he is exactly who he pontificates on who he should be exposing, the letter read. James O'Keefe is Project Veritas began to trend on Twitter. Many supporters and donors all balked at the idea that Veritas could continue without O'Keefe at the helm, and prominent conservatives gave their support for O'Keefe. Veritas said they were confident in their ability to stay the course and continue to deliver on the mission O'Keefe set out for them, whether he was in charge of the project or not. That turned out to not be accurate. Odd that O'Keefe, the power hungry tyrant, seems to be doing just fine and thriving. Have you wondered what the state of the corrections departments of the of this country are, are looking like right now? Well, let me share a story that will probably make your blood boil as much as the idea that we've sent over $70 billion in aid to Ukraine with zero accountability. The Wisconsin Department of Corrections is housing a man who raped his own daughter in a women's prison because he said he identifies as a woman himself. 
and the Department of Corrections is refusing to offer any kind of insight or explanation on the matter. Mark Campbell is currently incarcerated in Techita, 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 not sure how to say that correctional institution, a women's prison in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. He is a registered sex offender convicted of first-degree sexual assault of a child. That child was his own 10-year-old daughter. Campbell is currently 52 years old, weighs 225 pounds, and stands at 5 feet 9 inches. Under Campbell's listed sex, the Wisconsin Department of Corrections states in bold, female. Department of Corrections photographs of Campbell depict him with long brown hair. He appears to be wearing makeup, including large quantities of eyeliner and blush. The Department of Corrections does not include former photos of Campbell, but a 2020 news report from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel includes a mugshot of Campbell sans makeup. Court documents allege that Campbell would sexually assault his daughter while her little brother was home, and that her little brother would sometimes come into the room while the sexual assault was occurring. Campbell first requested transgender surgery to attempt to become a woman in 2013, according to a Wisconsin outlet, but the Department of Corrections denied his request at the time. In 2016, he filed a lawsuit accusing the Department of Corrections of being indifferent to his medical needs by not allowing him to get so-called sex change surgery. The Seventh U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in 2019 that the Department of Correction officials couldn't have anticipated that denying such a surgery to Campbell would violate his rights. However, in December of 2020, a federal judge ruled that Wisconsin must offer Campbell taxpayer-funded transition surgery and move him to a women's prison while awaiting said surgery. The rights of transgender persons and sex reassignment surgery remain politically controversial, even outside of the prison context. U.S. District Judge James Peterson said in his ruling at the time, and some members of the public are outraged at any effort to improve the health and well-being of inmates. But the true public interest lies in alleviating needless suffering by those who are dependent on the government for their care. So let me recap momentarily before I continue. A man raped his 10-year-old daughter and has decided he is now a woman, and the state of Wisconsin's taxpayers had to pay for the transition, and he's now housed with female inmates because he was waiting long enough. Since August August 21st, Wisconsin Department of Corrections Deputy Director of Communications Kevin Hoffman has failed to provide any information on Campbell's whereabouts or how many biologically male inmates are housed in female prisons. 
Guidance from the Department of Corrections dated April of 2018 states that inmates may self-identify as transgender or intersex at intake or at any other time during incarceration and that all sites are approved for transgender and intersex inmates except six facilities, and I'm not going to name all of those here. Uh, Facility and housing assignments shall be made on a case-by-case basis, considering the inmate's health and safety, as well as potential programming, management, and security concerns. An inmate's own views regarding safety shall be given careful consideration. If an inmate has undergone an attempted transgender transition surgery, that inmate will likely be placed in a facility consistent with the reassignment treatment. The guidance states, in other words, if a man undergoes attempted sex change surgery to look like a woman, he will be housed with women. For the purpose of facility placement, self-inflicted genital mutilation does not constitute sexual reassignment surgery and does not qualify does not qualify an inmate for placement in a different facility a little more than half of the men housed in Wisconsin Department of Corrections facilities who identify as transgender women have been convicted of at least one count of sexual assault or sexual abuse The revelation comes from records obtained by the Heritage Foundation's Oversight Project through an April 2022 public records request. The Oversight Project sought information on biologically male inmates seeking transfers to female prisons. By saying they identified as transgender females, one of the 161 biological men who are housed in Wisconsin Department of Corrections facilities who self-reported as transgender, 81, or 50.3%, have been convicted of at least one count of sexual assault or sexual abuse as of late July. The prisoners may have been convicted of additional offenses for their current incarceration periods that are not sex offenses. The Wisconsin Department of Corrections Noted, inmates convicted of of sex offenses may have committed crimes including sexual exploitation of a child, sexual exploitation by a therapist, forced viewing of a sexual act, rape, sexual intercourse without consent, incest, sexual intercourse with a child, with a child. Indecent behavior with a child, enticing a child, and more. This isn't the first case like this, and it won't be the last. It's only going to get worse from here, unless we demand reforms. This man raped his defenseless 10-year-old daughter. He shouldn't even be alive, let alone getting taxpayer-funded gender reassignment surgeries. I said what I said. Our society is on a crash course of decline that is evidenced by nearly every news article that I read on a daily basis. However, I don't think anything I've witnessed has painted the picture so clearly than watching two people in a car 
run down and murder a man riding a bicycle and laughing about it as if they just heard a good joke. Two teenage boys, believed to be behind the sick hit-and-run homicide of retired police chief in Las Vegas, has been named, and they're being charged as adults. Jesus Ayala, 17 years old, and Zamir Keys, 16 years old are suspected of intentionally striking Andreas Probst while he was riding his bicycle down an empty highway in the northwest of the city around 6 a.m. on August 14th. Ayala was arrested the same day, accused of being the motorist behind the wheel of the 2016 Hyundai Elantra, where he hit the retired police officer. Meanwhile, Keys who was detained this week following a police appeal for information, is believed to be the passenger who goaded the attack and filmed a sick video. The duo were transferred to the Clark County Detention Center on Wednesday, and they face charges of murder with a deadly weapon, battery, and attempted murder in Las Vegas Justice Court, according to local reports. They appeared in separate hearings on Wednesday morning in family court, per the Las Vegas Journal. Two of Key's relatives cried during his first appearance in court in front of hearing Master Timothy Andrews. One of Ayala's female relatives also attended his appearance before hearing Master Randall Foreman and used the assistance of a translator. She shielded her face and held back tears as she walked past reporters outside the classroom, or I'm sorry, not classroom, outside the courtroom afterwards. Police said they also tied the teens to at least three hit-and-run incidents the same day. They believe the slaying of Probst, a female, I cannot talk tonight, you guys, a former police chief in Bell, California, ended the spree. The graphic video shows a dashboard view from the front seat of a vehicle approaching Probst from behind while he was riding near the curb on an otherwise traffic-free road. Laughter and comments from inside the car are heard before Probst, wearing a red shirt and dark shorts, was struck and thrown against the windshield. A final image from the movie Cars show the retired cop on the ground beside the curb. Deputy Police Chief Nick Faris called the intentional hit in a stolen vehicle and the sick video a cowardly act that in my 22 years of law enforcement left me personally appalled. At a news conference Tuesday, Taylor Probst described her father, known by loved ones as Andy, as a man of honor and integrity who worked for more than 35 years in law enforcement. We're devastated by the senseless murder of Andy, she said. Andy's life was robbed by two individuals who did not believe that the lives of others matter. Probst urged the DA's office to take these crimes to the furthest extent of the law. The worst part? They tried to kill a second cycler who was 72 years old, earlier in the day, who did happen to survive. They stole three cars 
and committed a burglary all in the span of two hours. Jesus said, I'll be out in 30 days. I'll bet you. He's completely unremorseful, and therein lies the crux of the issue. No one taught these young men right from wrong and personal accountability. The victim mentality that has permeated all aspects of society has seeped into their bones. Quote, my behavior and transgressions are excused due to X, Y, Z factors. This is someone else's fault. You already have one mother stating that the truth will come out about her son, while the other mother is saying that this is horrible, and she doesn't know if God can forgive this. I'm not religious, but man, this shit makes me feel like I should be. In the same vein of being busy baking humble pie, I'm quite certain that Greg Abbott must have had a massive moment of vindication tonight when Governor Kathy Hochul, or Hochul, however you say her name, said she supports nixing New York City's right to shelter law as the relentless influx of migrants pours into and only continues to cripple an already at-capacity Big Apple. The governor backed Mayor Eric Adams's push to suspend the decades-old mandate amid the escalating migrant crisis, telling CNN on Wednesday that the rule was never meant to house literally the entire world. This is the right thing to do, Hochul said, of rescinding the court-ordered mandate that requires the city to provide a bed for anyone who requests one. The original premise behind the right to shelter was for starters, for homeless men on the streets, people experiencing AIDS that was, at the time, extended to families. But it was never envisioned to be an unlimited universal right or obligation on the city to house literally the entire world. Well, well, well. (laughs) The decision... Two bus migrants from the border to sanctuary cities is quite possibly the most brilliant political move of my lifetime. At this moment, I can't think of any better one. The Adams administration is currently challenging the right to shelter rule in Supreme Court, uh, state Supreme Court, I apologize, arguing that they need to turn some people away because the city's resources have already buckled with the arrival of more than 110,000 asylum seekers since spring of 2022. Legal Aid, however, has challenged the push, claiming in part that it would only result in more people sleeping on Gotham streets. And so, as the saga draws out, Hochul on Wednesday urged newly arrived migrants to consider settling someplace else. As the Biden administration cleared the way for Venezuelan asylum seekers to get expedited work permits, Hochul told NY1 that granting temporary protected status and expediting work permits for thousands of Venezuelans who entered the United States before July 31st, was an important first step. 
in getting expedited work status for all migrants. The mayor has done an extraordinary job managing this crisis situation. We've been partners in helping him, but there's there must be other cities that do not have upwards of 125,000 people, over 65,000 of them in shelters that can handle the volume easier in the state. About 41% of the migrants who have come to New York from the southern border are Venezuelans. According to City Hall data released last month, Hochul said she had been pushing for more than a year to get Venezuelans the temporary protected status that allows them to work in the United States and that now working migrants will begin to live independently instead of relying on the city's shelter system. Expanding temporary protected status to migrants allows them to work within 30 days instead of 180, meaning they'll be able to exit the shelter sooner. Hochul said the state is committed to working with Mayor Eric Adams to ensure these people are connected to jobs as soon as they're able to work. We have to have more workers. This is going to be a very, very positive development for our state's economy. For these individuals and our desire to start not opening more shelters, but starting to shut down shelters, she added. Following the Department of Homeland Security's announcement, Hochul unveiled a major initiative that will focus state resources and personnel to help eligible migrants file for work authorization and connect them to employers. More than 70 staffers from 16 different state agencies will be assigned to the effort. Another 50 DHS employees have been promised to New York to process migrants' work authorization applications. It's critical that the Venezuelans understand that those who have arrived here after July 31st of 2023 are not eligible for this protection. And instead, it will be removed when they are found to not have a legal basis to stay. Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas said uh, the extension and expansion of the protected status was warranted due to extraordinary and temporary conditions in Venezuela that prevent individuals from returning safely. The status also protects eligible migrants from deportation. My, oh my, how quickly the tables turn when your budget has to pay the bill your lip service ordered. If seeing the presser with AOC is any indication, I feel that it's possible the opportunity is there for big things to happen in 2024. Uh, The center, I'm sorry, I skipped forward. Uh, The United Kingdom has passed its online safety bill, which is a massive piece of internet regulation It has been hotly debated and contested and amended for years. It is nearly 300 pages long. The bill creates a vast list of content moderation requirements 
for tech companies that wish to operate in the United Kingdom. The government's own estimates show that the bill's reach will go far beyond the biggest tech titans, with more than 20,000 small businesses likely to be affected. The UK's Office of Communications, the country's equivalent of the FCC, will have the power to levy fines of up to 18 million pounds, which is roughly $22 million, on non-compliant companies. In some cases, executives may face jail time for non-compliance. Yeah, good luck enforcing that outside of your own country. The bill regulates illegal content like child sex abuse, terrorism, but it also goes far beyond it. Companies will face penalties for failing to clamp down on scam ads, deep fake pornography, and even for failing to offer users the ability to limit their exposure to anonymous trolls. The bill has undergone several twists and turns in its development. At times, the government sought powers to override encrypted communications leading to warnings from the encrypted chat apps Signal and Facebook-owned WhatsApp that they may have to quit the country rather than comply. The government eventually backtracked on this measure. Shocker. The bill's passage was welcomed by Imran Ahmed, the head of the infamous Center for Countering Digital Hate. The organization behind Joe Biden's disinformation dozen smear against critics of COVID-19 policies. Too much tragedy has already befallen people in this country because of tech companies' moral failures, Ahmed said in a comment reported by the BBC. Former U.S. State Department official and online freedom campaigner Mike Benz condemned the bill's passage saying it would grant too much power to the sprawling UK deep state. This will probably end up being one of the darkest days we mark in the history of internet censorship. The sprawling British state and UK intelligence censorship apparatus constructed over the past seven years has just been made extremely armed and dangerous. That is your Friday edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. We will have Liberty Happy Hour this evening at 10.15 Eastern Standard Time. Please join us this evening for lively debate and discussion on all the topics of the week. If you do not join us, I will see you guys hopefully back on Monday. You guys take care and have a great weekend. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.